Zach, today's a day of reflecting. Reflect with me, Cooper. Well, today after Father's Day. Yeah. So first, got to give it a shout out to my old pops, Shane McCullough. Good man. I mean, just a fox. <laughs> Not quite silver yet, but a fox of a man. And I have to give a shout out to my father, James Kevin Funderburk, wow. also known as Jimmy. Old Jimbo. The man. The man. The legend. There's a... There's a... I love my dad. Yeah. But there's one skill that Jimmy has that I don't think any other man on the planet has. Talk to me. And that is, I, I literally, I told this, I was with him not too long ago and I told him, I was like, with him and we were talking about someone and we're like, oh, do you know so-and-so? Mm. And, and he's like, oh. He like thinks about it. And he's like, oh, like, you might not know him. He did this. And then it's like some like random one-off fact. He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I met him that one time. I'm like, I don't have like the exact specifics of what he said, but I wouldn't be shocked if one day I'm talking to your dad and I'm like, uh, oh, like, have you, I just was talking to this guy, Kevin, like I met him not too long ago. You know, Kevin, Kevin Orange, whatever. His last name is. <laughs> Kevin Orange. Orange. And he's like, oh, uh, Kevin Orange. Yeah, that's crazy. So I was actually in high school yeah. with his aunt's mother. Everyone is one person, one or two people away from my dad. It's like, it's like you know that move, like that that thing where it's like you see how many movies away like Matt Damon is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The actor is. It's yeah. Like you start with like whatever movie, and you're like three movies from. Yeah, Matt yeah. Every human being on this planet is three human beings. <laughs> I really, I agree. I really yeah. think so. But again, Dad, love you so much. Yeah. He's faithful. He taught me to to, to fear God and love my family and i'm so grateful i'm the man i am today because of shame color huge shout outs to the fathers out there yeah. the but, good good fathers but that's not what we're talking about today so <laughs> yeah. we had to parry dill of course Some faithful dads doing it out here yeah but while we were here thinking through man what do the people need to hear mm -hmm. uh instagram instagram it is it is the yeah. superior social media platform of all time there are a few social medias out there and there are some that have tried to come up but have been absolutely squashed yeah. by the the pre-existing ones right. but there is one social media that rises above the rest easily because it's not going anywhere instagram just cannibalizes any other, other uh, <laughs> they just buy it yes and then, and then they become better and they so make it better first mm -hmm. example is Instagram stories. Of course. Snapchat comes strong with the story game. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. And then I remember Instagram stealing it, and I was like, that's so dumb. Like, why would people ever use Instagram stories? Now it's like, like, what's a Snapchat story? What's, like, what's, what's Snapchat? Snapchat? <laughs> I, don't, I don't, maybe there's some of you who use Snapchat. Uh, I, I am not a person that uses it. No, person. no. And then you move on TikTok, blowing up. It comes out of you. nowhere. I think TikTok currently is probably the king. But I don't Currently. think it's a long-term rating. I don't know. Look what happened to Vine. Exactly. I don't think it has the wheels to mm. do what Instagram is doing because right. Instagram has already adopted Instagram Reels, and now people that are on TikTok will just take their Reels and put them on. Instagram. They post it. So, yeah. So, Same with Twitter. People will yes. tweet, but then they'll screenshot their tweet and put it on Instagram. Right. Exactly. And YouTube. I mean, you put a what is it? IGTV. Yeah. It, that's YouTube. Yeah. You can so, put an hour-long video on Instagram. I, that's tough for me because I have screen time. So <laughs> yeah, same. Like yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't I'll watch that whole video. How bad? Do I need to see this? Yeah. 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 And so that's the first thing. Is Instagram is king. Yeah. Then, Easily. Zach, you and I were talking about Instagram. Mm -hmm. We were wondering what, like, when did, like, when we got Instagram? And so we looked back, and yours was um, sometime in August. Let me see. Mine's November nineteenth, twenty twelve. August sixth, two thousand twelve. So. 2012 was just, and I think I was a little late. 
I'm pretty sure. I was too. Like, I was. No, that's kind of, we were. I mean, before we even knew. I remember I had just gotten back from Canacuck, hence my first post was the Canacuck cross with a mad filter. I mean, I wish I could know what filter yeah, this was. The best thing is, it does not exist. Zach and I have the same filter on our first <laughs> photo, and not only did his Ooh. is a cross with like Canacuck cleats. Yep. Um, but mine is uh, got Jesus quite just words in the got milk font. In the got milk font, <laughs> and it's this. It was an all black photo, but the filter's so strong that like, the middle's pink and the outside's kind of purpley. Yeah, and uh, mad filter. We were just thinking back in the days. No, before. no human has used that filter since no. 2013. Oh. And the worst is the pre-added uh, frames that you with your Instagram pictures. I'm just kind of scrolling back through the archives right now. I mean, I I mean, I don't think that I've peaked thirty likes. And I'm already <laughs> in January of 2013. E, thirty uh, likes. My first one got fourteen. Yeah. I'm, I'm Second a, one thirteen. I'm a steady 24, 25. Oh wow. Oh, here we January go. January seventh, two thousand thirteen. Oh. Old school car. That's and September. Five liked. I got forty six since twenty fourteen. So. Okay. That's you, no you're, good. You know, you don't post too often. I, I, yeah, I really didn't. And really, they were just pictures of my little brother. Because he was adorable. Guys, we want you to follow us. <laughs> <laughs> That's not actually why. But if you want to, mine's Cooper Allen 8. C-O-O-P-E-R-A-L-L-A-N. A-N. Family name, Allen. It's completely free. Following me will be free. And honestly, guys, I don't plan to change that. You can follow me at Zach Funderburg, or you can follow us at NX. NXT Gen Leader Pod on Instagram, Snapchat, not Snapchat. We don't, we don't have a Snapchat. Uh, YouTube, actually. Yes. I mean, there's not much on there. LinkedIn, Facebook. You can get us all everywhere. Monica and Zach, but mostly Monica. Mostly right. Monica. Yeah. Thank you, Monica. But here's the deal, Cooper. We have come so far since yeah. when our first post on Instagram. Yeah. The the mad filters, the pre the frames. We used to do the most. We the most. We, I mean, here's the deal. Less is more now. Less is more, and I'm, and I'm honestly thinking about re-entering the Instagram game. Really? I've been I about it. I've I could tell. I meant to talk to you about that because I feel like you've been back. You don't ever post. I never post. Zach. My it, last, my literal last post was before COVID started. But you're starting. You're starting slow on your stories. I'm going. I'm going stories. Yeah. From time to time. The only thing that could get Cooper to post more is confidence, and we. And, and the more followers we get from this, he will have more confidence. That's, that's so fair. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's where I think I shine. Yeah. Is in my my uh, highlights. Yeah. There's a, there's yeah. A one of our roommates in college. His name is Riley Becker. Shout yeah. out Riley Becker. I did this thing. It's called Riley's Chains. Yeah. And Riley was a sophomore in college before he got his braces off. Yep. So we did yep. a 10-day countdown. Mm. I think it was like in October. We did a Christmas special. Yeah. It was everything. We did the work. Talk about the most. The most. <laughs> that was hilarious. I also, there's a couple of moments from Cletus Storm Drain up there. That's a good one. A That's a good Kenny one. camps. I was him every 4th of July for like the past four years. Still could be. Still could be. Mm. Maybe. It's maybe coming not. up soon. But, guys, moral of the story is I'm kind of back on Instagram. I haven't posted a actual post yet, but it's coming. Go follow him, at Cooper Allen. Are you back? Yeah, Cooper Allen 8. A-L-L. 8, 8, sorry. Are you back on Instagram? I'm kind of just steady. Yeah. It's like every month or so I'll, I'll throw something. I'll throw a story of my puppy yeah. every once in a my while. My last post was March 23rd, 2020. Yikes. So it's been over three A whole quarantine. Yeah. I mean, I've been quarantining. And let me just say, I have massive biceps now. 
Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderwork, here with my co-host. I'm looking at him right now, folks, and Cooper McCullough's biceps are massive. By massive, we mean slightly below average. (laughs) Speaking of a slightly above average episode that we have today... I would. Wow. Genuinely, I would. Today, we have Dr. Ben Carson. This is someone that you might have heard of from a few different things. He ran for president in 2016, ultimately lost and moved into being the 17th, I believe, uh, United States Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, also known as HUD. Served there for three years, and now he's doing stuff, HUD, doing stuff in the private sector. But before that, he was a neurosurgeon. Ben Carson is the first person to split twins who were born conjoined at the back of the head. Wow. That's split them. Actually a crazy fun fact that I would have never known. But it gets better. Oh, good. His middle name is Solomon. Okay. And he, we talk about this in the... in the. I didn't know that. He go by Solly? He, he does not. Did you call him that? I did not. Good call. Mr. Carson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, his, his middle name is Solomon. Do you know what Solomon's first act was as king? Like what his, like kind of made him famous, what uh, his he wisdom. wisdom. He, he prayed for yeah, wisdom. Prayed wisdom. That wisdom came like it came to fold when those two women brought one child to yes. him. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he was like, cut it in half. Ben Solomon Carson, first one to split twins conjoined at the head. Wow. Kind of weird. Kind of cool. Kind of cr- God mean, has a sense of humor. We serve an amazing God. <laughs> we really do. You should post a picture on your Instagram of a can cross with the next same <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, got Jesus. Well, he does. We talk a lot about his faith and how that influences politics and how it influences his life and how it gives him and empowers him to have courage to go against the grain. That's really the crux of what we talk about is that people, Christians, are, are specifically, aren't standing up for what they believe in. It's just soft. And it's very soft. How do we, re- we revitalize that in our churches and in our country? Yeah, and it's awesome to know if you run for president and you don't win, it's, it doesn't mean you failed. And right. there's still so much that you can do yeah. for your country and, and urban development. Right, urban, and really the whole country, I mean, as a whole. And, right. and really what he talked about was like, what's your advice for 20-year-old self? And this was just part of it. He's like, ask for wisdom every day. Ask for wisdom. And I was like... Thank you. He knows his middle name. He knows. Yeah. He knows. Well, without further ado, I want to send it over to him, Coop. This is an amazing interview, and I'm so excited to share it with y'all. Here he is, Dr. Mr. Secretary Ben Carson. There was a boy who hated poverty growing up. He was poor and grew up in neighborhoods of the inner cities in Boston and Detroit. The rundown housing in which he lived had paper-thin walls through which arguments could be heard late into the night. Break-ins and burglaries were common. His father left his mother and brother when he was only eight. The neighborhood projects in Boston, houses were abandoned, some were burned, but all were crumbling. The conditions of poverty spawned angry, aggressive attitudes among the neighbors and everyone in the community. A common emotion was fear. The boy's mother believed in her son, even when the boy's first efforts in school really weren't much to be proud of. The boy let others call him dumb, and anger came out. One day, he nearly killed a boy with a knife. The mother kept encouraging her small family, working cleaning jobs to put food on the table, and requiring her son to read, write book reports, study, and go to school. The boy discovered he loved learning and was curious about everything. He ultimately got a scholarship to Yale, went to medical school, and became a surgeon at John Hopkins University, earning many positions of distinction. This was in America, and this was me. 
Dr. Ben Carson. And as we know, the story goes on much further from there. And I think that's all that people really know. Dr. Carson, thank you for being with us. And will you start by really just telling your story? Well, you know, my story is really my mother's story because uh, she came from a very large rural family, got married when she was 13, trying to escape desperate poverty. They moved to Detroit where my father was a factory worker. She discovered that he was a bigamist, had another family. Obviously, a divorce ensued. And uh, she, in fact, uh, had to try to raise us on her own with uh, no real education. She never quite finished the third grade. But the unique thing about my mother... Even though she had all of those things stacked against her, uh, she absolutely refused to be a victim. She always said, you know, I can do something. Mm. And she refused to allow my brother and me to become victims also. And it didn't really matter what anybody else was saying. She was always saying to me, Benny, you're much too smart to be bringing home grades like this. Mm. I brought them home anyway, but she was always saying that, you know, she was (laughs) always being encouraging. And whenever we came up with an excuse, the next thing out of her mouth was a poem called Yourself to Blame. Mm. You're the captain of your ship. You know, if things go awry, don't blame others. Look in the mirror. And right. uh, I think it made a big difference, particularly when I started reading the books. And she made us read two books apiece from the Detroit Public Libraries every week and submit to her written book reports. And, you know, obviously we were not very happy about that in the <laughs> beginning. Uh, right. And today, in the days where we would have called social services, but we had to do it back then. Right. And uh, as 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 I as I read about surgeons and scientists and explorers and entrepreneurs, I began to see a pattern. I I, I began to realize that the person who has the most to do with what happens to you is you. Mm. It's not the environment. It's not somebody else. It's not what somebody else says. And you know, all of a sudden, I didn't mind being poor anymore. I used to hate being poor. Mm. But the reason I didn't hate it anymore is because I realized that I could change it. Right. I didn't have to stay that way. I could pretty much create my own future. And uh, the same thing with my brother. Of course, he became a rocket scientist and I became a brain surgeon. Um, you know, if, if you can imagine it, you can do it mm. if you have a normal brain. And, uh, you know, the brain is just an amazing organ. And you know a little bit about the brain. A little bit. (laughs) Billions and billions of neurons, hundreds of billions of interconnections can process more than 2 million bits of information in one second. Mm -hmm. You can't overload it. People say, don't learn this, you'll overload your brain. You can't overload the brain. If you learned one new fact every second, it would take you more than 3 million years to begin to challenge the capacity of your brain. So not a chance. So what we really need to be thinking about is how do we get people to to use that brain? How do we get people to take advantage of the things that are around them rather than concentrating on the negatives that so many people throw up in front of them? And, you know, that's really what has uh, more or less led me in my life And one of the reasons that, you know, my wife and I started the Carson Scholars Fund, uh, reason that I accepted the job at HUD Mm. is because I was was interested in trying to change the paradigm of dependency to one 
of self-sufficiency. Mm. And we can get there if we have the right kinds of policies. You know, the policies that we we have tend to lead toward dependency. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously we got some work done on that, but we'll uh, maybe continue that uh, after the current administration is finished. Uh, we just need to to get people to realize that we have a lot in this country. Mm. Are we perfect? Of course not. No. Is any country perfect? Has anybody ever been perfect? Only one person, one person. Jesus, and they crucified him. So I, I, I don't think perfection is the goal. But what we do have to do is we have to learn from the things that have happened in the past. Learn from the good things and learn from the bad things. Mm. That's how you make progress. You don't bury the bad things. You don't rewrite the bad things. You don't try to cancel people who disagree with you. You know, these are all completely the wrong things to do in a society. And I hope it's just a phase, a, a very aberrant phase that we're going through and that we will recover our common sense shortly. Well, I hope it's just a phase for the sake of my generation and my children's generation is that we can continue forward. And just like the, the great document says, is that we are on a, a mission towards a more perfect union. We are not perfect. We never will be perfect, but we can constantly strive to be and to, to, see, to seek that. And a part of that is personal responsibility, taking responsibility for your words, your actions, your thoughts. And, and really your story just crushes the victim mentality that a lot of people have in my generation and in our country right now. So for you, what does it look like to get over that victim mentality, to, to put that behind you and start taking responsibility for your actions? Well, it, it looks like freedom mm. because you don't have to look for somebody else to blame. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, when a challenge is before you, uh, instead of figuring out who you can blame, you start figuring out how do you solve the problem? You know, there's no one who doesn't have hurdles in life. But what do you do with it? Do you come up to it and stop and use it as the excuse for your failure? Mm. Or do you leap over it and let it strengthen you and give you more experience for the next hurdle that you come to? Mm. It's really a matter of attitude. You can take somebody who has the attitude of failure and victimization and you can take them off the street, dust them off, give them a three-piece suit, they put them in a beautiful penthouse office, they'll find their way back to the street, believe me. Right. And you can take somebody who has a winner's mentality, and you can take everything from them, you put them on the street, and he'll find his way back up there. Right. That's the, it's, it's the mind, it's the attitude. That is the key. And, and this is particularly important right now in our country because, you know, we have this uh, critical race theory going on, which is just, I think, created by Satan himself. I mean, yeah. it's just a ridiculous way to divide and destroy unity in a country. Mm. Uh, it's been done before in other countries. It's, it's a particularly effective mode. Yeah. of destruction of a society, getting the people to fight amongst themselves. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Cannot stand. And, uh, you know, but think about the children who are being raised in the current environment. First of all, you know, they got to wear masks to school. <laughs> uh, 
you know, they don't get to learn facial expressions. Mm. They're told that they may be carrying some horrible disease and infect their grandmother, even though they don't feel sick themselves. And then, of course, like grandmothers do, they die. And then they feel guilty for the rest of their lives that they right. were responsible for it. And uh, and then not to mention the fear that they may die from some horrible disease themselves, mm. even though, you know, only a handful of children have died from COVID, if that many. And then if they're white, they're responsible for everybody else's misery. Mm. Them and their parents and their grandparents and all their ancestors are just evil, horrible people. Right. And if you're black, you're a victim. And there's just nothing you can do about it because you live in this horrible racist society. Uh, and then if that's not enough to make you you know, have an aberrant uh, view of yourself. Now you're told you may not be a girl or you may not be a boy. Right. We don't know what you are. It's, can, can you imagine trying to develop a self-image <laughs> in an yeah. environment like that? It's like we're trying to create a bunch of people who are dysfunctional. Mm. Yeah, it, it's so fascinating. The time we're living in and even what from when I grew up, which wasn't too long ago and to now what the kids are having to deal with and having to learn. And you talk a lot about the brain and how much information it can take in. What, are, what is your message to young people right now to develop their brain to to be in this world, to continue learning, to continue growing? What What is your as a neurosurgeon, but also as just a brilliant man yourself? What is your message to young people in regards to learning in the brain? The, the, the main message is that, you know, God gave you an incredible gift with your brain mm. and to use it. Don't let other people think for you. Don't let other people tell you what you're supposed to think, right. what you're supposed to believe, how you're supposed to act. And, you know, there's so much of this. This is really common sense. And think about this. Is it really fair? to judge someone else on the basis of a characteristic that they cannot change mm. and that they had nothing to do with? Wouldn't it be better to judge people on the basis of their character and of the things that they can control? Doesn't that make a lot more sense right. than judging somebody on the basis of their skin color or their hair texture mm. or their facial features? That makes absolutely no sense. And that is how animals act. Animals judge things based on vision because they don't have the capacity to think down to another level right. or up to another level. Why would we allow ourselves to act like animals? We need to move far beyond that and start thinking about the things that actually matter in life. And definitely don't let someone skew your opinion and make you into a hateful individual. Does that really even make any sense? Right. And it goes completely against what Dr. King said that I have a dream that my children will be judged by not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. But when we do that and we're saying it's all about uh, something about you that you can't change, then right. no one's taking responsibility for their character and for their actions that affect other people. So that's where I really think that we need to switch our mindset in that regard. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, what I find fascinating is is the very people uh, who are pushing critical race theory and things of that nature turn around and 
you know, quote Dr. King. Right. right. <laughs> not, not, not that particular quote about the country. Of course not. Not that quote. <laughs> but uh, I suspect if he were alive today, he would be absolutely horrified with what right. they're doing. Yeah, it, it's so it's so fascinating. You wrote a book called One Nation, What We Can Do to Save America's Future and, and came out in 2014. It's a great book. And it's a very optimistic approach on the future of America. I think a lot of people who are young and even just looking at the state of our union, don't take that optimistic approach. What do you see in this country that other people may not see that gives you that optimistic mindset? Well, for one thing, we still have freedom. Right. Uh, you know, we can, you can live in this country in any environment you want. You can live in a big city. You can live in a country. You can live in tropics. You can live in the Arctic. You can live in the mountains. In the valley. It doesn't matter. And still speak the same language mm-hmm. and still have the same culture. And your opportunities are only limited by your imagination. That is an, a magnificent place right. in which to live. And you know, the thing, the, the only thing that can really hurt us, it's not Russia, it's not China, it's not North Korea, it's not Iran, it's us. Mm. You know, we're the only thing that can destroy all of this for ourselves, for our progeny. And we just need to put life on pause for a minute and say, wait a minute, is that person who lived across the street from me for the last 20 years, really my enemy because they have a different yard sign than I did? Right. Does that really make any sense? Or am I allowing myself to be manipulated by mm. people to make me want to hate somebody without reason, without cause? And, you know, we, we're smarter than that. And that's one of the reasons that, that I do have optimism and writing One Nation, you know, I travel a lot all over the country. Uh, I've been in all 50 states and in the smallest little hamlets in North Dakota, all kinds yeah. of places. And I can tell you, most of the American people have common sense. Right. Now, they don't necessarily vocalize like some of the ones who don't have common sense uh, and who get you know, plastered all over the news all the time. But there is that core of of common decency that exists in the people of our country. And uh, there is still a sense of goodness in the American people. And, Mm. you know, most American people still believe in godly principles. Right. And those are the things that ultimately will save this country. Those are the things that actually distinguish us from almost every other nation that has ever existed. Mm. Our very founding document says that our rights come not from government, but from God. Mm. And that informs a lot of the policies that uh, were in the development of our country. And uh, it certainly informed the writing of the Constitution of this nation. 
right? Our, our, it comes from the laws of nature and nature's God. Our, our, our laws, our freedoms, our rights do not come from the government, but by God. And so how does your faith uh, as a believer in, in Jesus Christ influence your politics? Because I feel something I'm passionate about is that the church, I feel like sometimes runs from politics because they don't want to be canceled in our culture today, or they don't want to be right. in a place uh, of limbo like that, or they pander to people who might cancel them. So how does your faith influence your politics? Well, it was interesting when uh, Alexis de Tocqueville came to America to study this country. Right. And of course, he wrote the two volumes that Democracy in America. Democracy in America. I'm actually reading that right now. <laughs> Is that right? Yes, and uh, when you get to the end of it, you'll see how much he praises the churches and the courageous pastors yeah. uh, who, who were not you know, people with their finger in the air trying to see which way the wind was blowing mm. and really gave the people a foundation uh, for the courage that led to, you know, the freedoms that we have in, in this country of ours. So, you know, my faith in God is what gives me the courage to go against the grain. Yeah. You know, I don't have to satisfy the Democrats or the Republicans or anybody. I just have to satisfy God. Mm. And believe me, it's a whole lot easier if you only have to satisfy one person. Right. Uh, you're not sort of like uh, switching every five minutes, depending on which way the wind is blowing. Right. And uh, it gives you confidence and you can spend your time and your energy and your intellect, uh, you know, crafting uh, the methodology that you're going to use to follow those belief systems. And I think courage is something that a lot of people are missing uh, these days. Courage to stand up what is right, what is true, and what they truly believe based on conviction. Because like Absolutely. you said, people have their finger in the air waiting which way the wind is blowing, because that's the way that they will go as well. But it takes true courage to go against the grain like you have. Well, that is that is why uh, the left has had so much success. Right. Because the people who actually don't agree with them just sit in a corner and put their head down and hope nobody calls them a racist or some other name Yeah. rather than standing up. Now, recently we've seen a lot of parent groups starting to stand up against mm -hmm. critical race theory. And that is good. I'm glad. I, I hope it sparks, mm -hmm. you know, a movement across this nation because this country is up for by the people. It's not up for by the government. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're allowing the government to just take over. And to control every aspect of our lives, you, you, you know, you take something like the, the coronavirus thing, mm. which is basically under control at this stage. Of the right. Uh, we have herd immunity. Our government even fails to recognize natural immunity. Mm. The fact that a lot of people, probably 100 million have immunity because they were exposed to the disease. Right. And that immunity is every bit as good, maybe better than the immunity you get from getting an immunization. Uh, they refuse to acknowledge that because uh, that would mean that they've got to sort of give up some control. Mm. And they've never had a better mechanism of controlling people than this. They just yeah. want to see how far can you push people? How right. far can you manipulate them? Uh, but I, I think people are waking up to that as well. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's why I have so much confidence in America. Yeah. Uh, you know, people will try to pull things over on us, but uh, it won't take us long to wake up and see what's going on. Of course. And I think when this 
current administration came in, there was a huge emphasis on unity and trying yeah. to find that and, and what unity looks like. And, and I feel like they've kind of missed the point of unity. So from your perspective, how do we get back to unity, to being able to see someone across the, across the street that has a different yard sign and see them as, I mean, created in the image of God and seeing them as another person and, and being able to listen and to regain that, those disciplines as, yeah. as people in our country, how do we get there? Well, the first thing you have to be willing to do is talk. Right. You, you can't get into your respective corners and hurl insults at each other, which is what we have a tendency to do. And you'll notice, you know, when two people fall in love and, you know, they just want to be around each other all the time. And, right. you know, they're calling each other on the telephone and just talking to hear the other's voice. And then before they get divorced, they stop talking. The next thing you know, their spouse is the devil incarnate. You know, <laughs> this yeah. is what happens when people stop talking. Mm. And uh, it, it's so vitally important. And, and talk in a reasonable way. You know, if somebody disagrees with you, hear them out and then ask them to hear you out. And what you'll find in most cases, if you do that, is you're not as far apart as you think you are. And you actually agree on a bunch of stuff, but it may be the method of achieving it that you disagree on. And that's an area where you can compromise. Can't compromise on principle, but you can certainly compromise on methodology and how yeah. you get things done. And when you start thinking that way, that's how you make real progress, particularly in an environment where you have varying opinions. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes down to listening and we have a kind of a skewed view of listening. A lot of people right now, myself included, listen with the intent of forming our next response or rebuttal rather right. than really listening to understand what that person is saying. I think that's, that's something exactly we can right. get back to as well. And what you just described is wisdom. Mm. Uh, if you read the book of Proverbs, it talks a lot about that. Yeah. And, you know, a wise person can actually listen and a multitude of counselors of safety, a whole mm. host of verses that will encourage you to be somebody who just doesn't go off in a hot headed direction yeah. on their own. And uh, you'll be much more successful in life if you do that. Right. There's another proverb that says, even a fool is seen as wise when they, when they keep Hold silent. His peace. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's so good. We're, we're so, we need to be talking. We need to be having these conversations, but we don't need to be swayed by emotions, be swayed by the pull of, of that to, to lash out in anger and to, to scream and to yell and say someone's wrong. We can find that sense of unity as a country. And in the book of James, it says, be Swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Yeah, I would. I mean, I wish we could go back to using the Bible more rather than worrying about critical race theory in our schools. Can we get the Bible back in the classrooms? That's what I want to know because that's Wouldn't where the that wisdom be nice? is. Absolutely. And so, you know, you stop and stop and think about it for a moment, right? You know, our Pledge of Allegiance says we are one nation under God, hmm. and Every coin in our pocket, every bill in our wallet says, in God we trust. And most courtrooms on the wall, it says, in God we trust. Every coin in your pocket, every bill in your wallet says, in God we trust. 
it's throughout the fabric of our constitution. And yet we tell people you're not supposed to talk about God in public. Mm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. In medicine, that would be known as schizophrenia. <laughs> and, you know, we, we really need to embrace those things that made us a great country. We went from a bunch of ragtag militiamen to the most powerful nation in the world in record mm. time. That was not a coincidence. Right. That was because of some of those values and principles that we utilize. Mm. And I wish we could get back to those. Uh, and hopefully next generation leaders will rise up to, to take the torch on that. Uh, you mentioned medicine. That's your background. You went to you went to medical school. John Hopkins, you're a surgeon. And you were what kind of created your, your not fame, but what you're known for is the being the first surgeon to, to split twins that are conjoined at the head. Is that correct? Uh, conjoined at the back of the head. Back of the head. So how does that kind of that expertise play into what you're doing today? What what does it look like to be a surgeon? What are you doing the night before of a surgery? Uh, uh, what are you about to split conjoined twins at the back of the head? What are you, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What's going through your mind? Well, the, the important thing is I ask God to give me wisdom. Right. What to do? Because, you know, there are a lot of very smart people in medicine particularly in a field of neurosurgery. Mm. Uh, so I said, I'm not any smarter than any of them, but uh, maybe I can get a little advantage if I uh, listen to the, to the one who created the brain. Right. <laughs> and, right. Uh, you know, that has, has guided me in, in everything that I do, uh, asking God for wisdom, just like Solomon did, mm -hmm. which happens to be my middle name, just huh. by coincidence, I guess. Huh. I think maybe that, it, it kind of shows you that God has a sense of humor, right? Because uh, He knew I would have this great affinity for Proverbs and, and for Solomon, mm -hmm. and asking Him for wisdom. And also, when Solomon became the king, do you remember the first thing he did that brought him great fame? There were two women who came to him. Yeah, yes, and uh, they claimed to be the same baby. And what did he advocate? Split the baby. Split the baby in half. And that what brought me a lot of attention to. <laughs> I have never, that is hilarious. I've never, that's funny. Yeah, split the baby in half. And the real mother said no. The mother who was claiming to be the mother said, yes, right. let's split him in half. That is hilarious. Right. Asking the Lord for wisdom. Uh, I, mean, I, I, I want to try to ask the Lord for wisdom every day because he he gives it to you. If, if you ask in faith, he, he gives you wisdom. And and I pray well, we start it, doing that. As it says in James 1, right. if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask for God, who giveth and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Mm. You know, it's it's a wonderful promise. Right. It's all, and it's all throughout scripture and uh, all throughout the Proverbs, all throughout James. But from there, what is your path? Cause I think a lot of people really know you from, you ran from president in 2016 and then you were the HUD secretary, but what's the path from neurosurgery to the, the primaries? Well, and I had no intention of going into the political arena at mm -hmm. all. And if you had told me that I was going to go into the political arena, I would tell you were crazy, <laughs> but, uh, but then I was asked to give the National Prayer Breakfast keynote speech in 2013. And I would invite or advise anyone listening to go listen to that speech. I was actually listening to it on my way down here, and it's it's a wonderful <laughs> speech. We keep going. Well, you know, I thought it was kind of strange because I had given a National Prayer Breakfast speech in 1997. 
And I didn't know that anybody ever did it twice, but a little research revealed that there was one person who did it twice, and that was Billy Graham. Oh. And I said, I said, well, that's pretty good company. You're in great company. <laughs> <laughs> I said, but I had no idea what I was supposed to say. And I kept asking the Lord, what, what am I supposed to say? Hmm. And of course, they were even more concerned. They wanted to see my script. Uh, but I said, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have a script. I don't know what I'm, I didn't know what I was going to say until the right. day of the speech. And then, of course, after the speech, everybody was, you got to run for president. I said, come on, give me a break. What am I doing? Yeah. Every place I was going, run, Ben, run. I said, if I just ignore them, it'll go away. But it didn't. It kept building and building. I had 500,000 petitions in my office. And finally, I said, Lord, I don't have anything that people who run for president have. I don't have an organization. I don't have a Rolodex with a lot of connections. I don't have a big war chest of money. I don't, and nor do I intend to develop those things. So right. if you really want me to run, you have to do all that. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I had an organization. They were raising more money than the RNC. The whole thing just fell into place. It was very interesting. And, uh, you know, why the Lord wanted me to run, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does. Right. But I probably would have never ended up doing the things that I did at HUD, mm-hmm. for sure. And uh, we probably would have had a broker convention uh, because I wouldn't have stopped and thrown my support behind Trump. Right. So, I mean, there there are complexities in the way that things turn out that sometimes we don't understand the beginning from the end. We just trust that God knows exactly what he's doing. And the Lord does work in mysterious ways. And you end up working for Donald Trump as the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. What was that relationship like? Because on paper, you and President Trump could not be any different. What What is that relationship like? Well, uh, in, in terms of our political philosophy, we're peeds in a pot. Right. In terms of our personality, we are diametrically opposed. To right. Each other. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we had a very good working relationship, uh, very, very friendly. And, uh, you know, even now, you know, I could pick up the phone and call him right now. He would be delighted, uh, you know, to talk. Um, and he was very wise and compassionate person, Hmm. but he also had a New York personality. And we talked about that several times and he would say, you know, yeah, I, I need to, I need to tone it down a little bit and then two hours later <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, i'm not i'm not sure that was a controllable thing uh yeah. but you know when you look at the things that were done during the administration in just four years far more than most administrations accomplished in eight years right yeah and he, ted cruz even brought that up i remember in the primaries of him being uh, from new york but what are some things that you're most proud of from your time at hud well, there were so many things. For one thing, when I got there, uh, the place was financially in shambles. Mm. There had not been a functional CFO office for eight years. Can you imagine the billions of dollars flowing through there like that? Right. So uh, we were able to uh, convince Irv Dennis, 37-year veteran, uh, Ernst & Young, to come over. It, had, it took a lot of arm twisting, but he finally did. Yeah. And to really transform uh, the organization financially, mm. which made it then possible to get a lot of the programs done, like such as our foster youth to independence program. Mm. Uh, in a matter of four months from the time that kids came to us 
talking about what was happening to them. 20,000 kids age out of foster care each year. Yeah. And can you imagine being 18 years old and okay, you're on your own. Yeah. No support. Mm. Uh, it's horrible. Uh, getting that program started and seeing it flourish. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, the opportunity zones, you know, yeah. uh, we of course headed that up and, uh, with Scott Turner, fire, who's here in Dallas. Yes. Yeah. Great Scott's man. terrific guy. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we were able to provide, uh, 500,000 jobs. Uh, we were looking to encourage investment of a hundred billion dollars over 10 years. We got 75 billion in only two years before COVID struck. Yeah. Um, it was pretty amazing and is looking to lift uh, 11 million people out of poverty. That's it's amazing. just a, a fantastic program. And I hope the current administration will expand on it uh, rather than try to kill it. And then we had the Envision Centers mm. where we would bring so many different programs uh, federal, state, and local programs under one roof so that people could actually use them. Right. Uh, that mother of three uh, could actually come down there, find out how to get childcare, find out how to get her GED if she didn't graduate from high school, find mm. out how to get further training, learn to become independent, teach that to her children. Then we begin to break the cycles of poverty. Unless we begin to think that way, we never solve these problems. And then, of course, we removed a lot of the barriers to affordable housing. There's a lot more work that needed to be done. Right. And yeah. before before COVID came along, we had a tremendous plan going on with uh, Mayor Garcetti and the whole group in Los Angeles to tackle right. the problem there. Yeah. So what drives you? You have such a successful medical career, and now you're in the, the political realm, and you, you're, you're just continuing to work for the people. What drives you every single day? Uh, well, if, I can't really sit back and relax and yeah. play golf all day right? with all the stuff that's going on. Seeing our society in such turmoil, I just wouldn't be able to relax. There'd be right. no peace in my soul. And, uh, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And mm. I figure I'll retire when I get to heaven. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Dr. Carson, I want to ask you just one more question. What we love asking all of our, our leaders we have on is just what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? 20-year-old doctor, not doctor yet, but Ben Carson at the time, what advice would you give to him? But my advice would be to learn how you learn. Because mm -hmm. everybody learns differently. And you will go much further and much faster when you learn what works for you. It's for instance, you know, when I uh, started medical school, you know, I thought I was really a smart guy. But right. I did terribly on the first set of comprehensive exams. And I was sent to see my counselor who suggested that I drop out of medical school. I had done just that poorly. And, uh, you know, I, that was not an option for me. Yeah. And, you know, I just prayed. I said, Lord, help me to figure out what to do. I just started analyzing my life and I realized that I did poorly in subjects where I listened to a lot of boring lectures because I don't get anything on the boring lectures. Right. Uh, and I did really well when I did a lot of reading. And I was sitting in six to eight hours worth of boring lectures a day. So I made an executive decision to skip the lectures, to spend that time reading. The rest of medical school was a snap after that. Mm. 
And uh, I remember some years later when I came back to my medical school as a commencement speaker, I was looking for that counselor because I was going to tell him he wasn't cut out to be a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> Needs to learn how he learns. <laughs> exactly. But, but if you learn that, mm. you will go so much further and so much faster rather than trying to pattern yourself after somebody else. Yeah. Well, Secretary, Dr. Ben Carson, thank you so much for your time. It's been an, uh, an honor and a blessing and keep up the great work. My pleasure and, and best wishes for your future career. Thank you, sir. Okay.